Hello, friends. Thank you for tuning into this week's episode of the Main Idea Podcast, where today I have the pleasure of sitting down with Dante Leon, and I have a special announcement for you all. There is now a show website. Check out www.mainideapodcast.com or click the links in the show notes and become part of the community. If you join the mailing list, you will be the first to hear about Ask Me Anythings, show merchandise, products that I'm using to help me perform at my best, and future events related to the show. You can also find links to connect as a potential sponsor or a guest. And if you feel so inclined, leave a donation to help keep the lights on. For the true fans of the show that want to see it continue, please take 30 seconds and leave a five-star review on Apple or Spotify. This helps the show get discovered organically and helps me to continually bring on incredible guests. There's also now show notes with timestamps below, so feel free to jump around to the part that interests you most, although I always recommend listening to the episode in its entirety. Dante Leon is a no-gi jiu-jitsu competitor and black belt from Canada. You can watch Dante compete against some of the best grapplers in the world on many of the stages, including Who's Number One, ADCC, and many more. I hope that you stick around for the full episode as we immerse ourselves in all things strength and conditioning, which Dante has an exceptional knack for. Without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, the strong and powerful Dante Leon. You being on the show, so this will be a good one. Uh, Dante, I want to start with a question that you hear a lot in jiu-jitsu, and especially if you're someone who comes from any kind of athletic background or pre-existing history with strength training or tra training for sport. And it's this idea to don't use your strength because you will forego uh, technique, right? And so they always say, don't use your strength. But being one of the strongest uh, for pound for pound in the sport, one of the most competitive, someone who clearly has an athletic history, what are your thoughts on, on just that idea in jiu-jitsu and grappling sports and in wrestling yeah the whole kind of thing about not using your strength and using your technique i think technique is always what comes first uh depending on what sport that you do you know the technique is always going to come first the skills and the skill acquisition is always going to be number one but the stronger you are and the better athlete that you are the easier those techniques become to apply um you see a lot of people that are really athletic try and rely on their athleticism rather than use it to complement uh, their technique, you know? So that's where I think people kind of miss the ball a little bit or, mm -hmm. you know, kind of, kind of uh, give that saying kind of what it's become today is where you have athletic people who are, you know, built really well, really strong, really fast and explosive. And that's what they tend to, look at when they're looking to escape positions or they're looking to attack in positions rather than using a technical approach to it you know with with technique that's backed by strength it's it becomes uh much more effective i believe how do you how do you balance those not not only as a professional but as let's say you're you know a, a, a practitioner who's just going in a couple times a week like we see a lot of people come from crossfit backgrounds people that come from collegiate sport backgrounds and that explosive power driven movement can be, you know, super valuable. But at the same time, the longer that you do jujitsu, those movements make you predictable if it's an unequal skill set. So someone who's about to explode tends to 
build tension and anticipation, and then you could utilize that to read what they're going to do and, and turn it against them. But how do you teach uh, you know, your students, athletes, people that you work with on understanding that balance of utilizing athleticism that's pre-existing, but not letting it take away from the skill building side of it? Yeah. So what happens a lot with students, uh, being an instructor myself, it's uh, what I'm going to say, I don't want it to be taken the wrong way, but it's really hard to get people if you say something to listen to you. You know, everybody, yeah. yeah, if they have coaching before, like the athletic and the strong people usually played sports before. And usually a lot of people think they have it figured out or they just have these uh, habits or things kind of like burned in instilled in them that they don't kind of really stray away from those things, you know, and jujitsu can be a very different approach it can be a very different methodology compared to other sports typical sports that i see in the midwest you know like wrestling the the mindset behind wrestling and jiu-jitsu is far different even though the sports are similar uh the mindset behind hockey football baseball is all very very different as far as how they approach training how they approach the game so i think the most effective thing is to put them in uh specific rounds and kind of bad positions where they start to see and they start to realize, understand firsthand, it's kind of a trial by fire, but they see that their athleticism and their strength is nullified and uh, it's not effective. And when they realize that they're getting exhausted and they realize that um, they're not having the success that they once thought they could, they can either be stubborn and choose to um, choose to kind of go along a path of like a really frustrating jujitsu journey, or they can make the change. You know what I mean? And, I always encourage that change to be made, but if I just say it, I don't think it has the same effect on people. I think they need to start in a bad position or start in different positions where they're unable to use their strength and their athleticism successfully. That's a really interesting point because I feel like that's in a way true for a lot of things in life. Uh, Receiving advice is very hard to do. When someone tells you how it is or they tell you, how you need to feel like, oh, you know, you, you need to break up with that person. They're not good for you. What does that person always do? They just stay in the relationship forever and ever until they're ground down and in the dirt. And they're like, oh, maybe this person's not good for me. Yeah. There's something weird, even when you have a, you know, as like a coach helping clients, it's the same thing. Like I can give all the nutritional advice in the world and paint together the perfect program. But at the end of the day, if that person's not receptive towards it, it all just kind of falls by the wayside. When you're making those connections with athletes, how do you utilize these kind of non-advice approaches to really hit home and really connect with them so that they're like, oh, you know what, I think Dante is right. Like, obviously, you know what you're talking about. You're a well-accomplished, highly skilled athlete, but that's still a bridge that you have to build between them. Yeah, for sure. I think I I say what I believe in. I say what I feel. I, I have my theories and my beliefs and uh, my theories and beliefs are backed by a lot of different people in the sport it's not just if you hear something that i say in a jiu-jitsu class and you go online you can find some people that say things different than me but you can find a lot of successful people that have a pretty similar outlook on things so you know there's always evidence out there that can support what i say it's not like i'm um you know, talking out of my ass necessarily with these people and, and eventually they're going to understand it. And it, it comes down to the individual who wants to make the change. You know, it's, it's rare that I get the person that I say, Hey man, this is what you should be doing. You shouldn't be doing that. And they're like, got it. 
you know, they're going to need to right. experience things firsthand. They're going to need to go out and get, you know, beat up in a tournament or, or have a training session where they realize, hey, this isn't working and maybe I'm not right. doing what I should be doing. So I think it's a combination of things. The best thing that I've found is not to force it. The more you like force people to see what you want to say, the the more you kind of pull away from your yourself and the time and the, the effort that you've invested in to have that that theory that mindset around it you know if you just want to ram it down everybody's throat you're going to get a lot of really resistant um students a lot of really resistive athletes and uh that's i try not to do that you know i've done things like that in the past where it's like this is the way i'm telling you i know this is the way but you know the more i say it 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 doesn't uh it doesn't have the same effect so i think it just like let it naturally happen if it if the gym's a fun place and things can be fun and the lessons aren't too harsh on people then they're always going to come back and uh, they're going to have to adapt because that's just what it takes to be good and what it takes to be um, to be somebody who has longevity in jiu-jitsu hello friends please let me take a minute to share my experience about why i love my sponsor ag1 I started taking AG1 because I believe that health starts on the cellular level and believe that gut health is as important as brain health. Between surfing, strength training, jiu-jitsu, striking, and running through businesses, I need every leg up I can manage. That's why I drink AG1 every morning before starting my day, and it makes me feel confident that no matter what happens, I've done a solid for myself and my well-being. As you may know, I'm a creature of habit. And adding AG1 to my daily regimen is an easy-to-do, tasteful hack that gives me assurance that I'm building my health 365 days a year. So if you want to take ownership over your health, it starts with AG1. Try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase. Go to drinkag1.com A-B-E. That's drinkag1.com slash A-B-E. Check it out and take advantage of the offer. That is a, a extremely valuable point because it's something that you see a lot of people struggle with. Is it's I mean, I, I did a whole episode on why I think like motivation is bullshit just because it's like a very fast burning fuel. You know, you come in and you're like, I'm going to take on jujitsu. It's this brand new sport. I'm going to use all, all these other elements of my life. And as soon as that motivation is gone and people are hit with that wall of, wow, I have to change. I have to accept parts about myself that I didn't know. I have to understand that there's people with more skill that are going to be better than me. And sometimes people can't handle that. Right. And so they, they fall apart or on the higher level, people stop. Uh, they lose their interest in learning. You see this all the time with some black belts, all respect, is that they don't have that same interest in and curiosity in furthering their skill the way that you see someone like yourself still being creative and still pushing it and still being a student of the game with kind of no end in sight, right? It, and, and that builds longevity into your life. Just like in strength training, when you get strong, if that's the only thing that you were after, then you stop exercising. Yeah. But if you become interested in, in the movements and the mechanics and different theories and methodology and, you know, different kinds of training that have existed for years and years and kind of nerd out on it, then it becomes really exciting and fun. And even though your strength increases are marginal relative to when you started, it's still exciting. When you look back to like your childhood, you played hockey you grew up on a farm, which is a very physical thing where you're using your body a lot. You're going in multiple planes of motion and doing different stuff. 
can you speak to the mentality? You had mentioned this, it mentioned hockey, wrestling, and, and other sports. Of I knew a lot of hockey players growing up, and there's some sort of like baked in tenacity to that sport that is, it seems really special, really unique, and one that I think transfers extremely well to an art form like jujitsu. Do you pull a lot from your experience as a young athlete, being coached, being in a training facility, and then also being part of the sport that's like very rigorous and camaraderie based? Yeah, absolutely. I think the thing that uh, a lot of people don't understand about hockey, because even though it's an extremely popular sport and it is worldwide, and it it, it dwarfs uh, grappling in as far as popularity, as far as mm-hmm. uh, you know, the crowds and things like that. But what people don't understand is you can watch hockey highlights and see people fighting and you see people, you know, getting blasted with, with body checks and into the boards and pucks in the face and different things like this. And it's 82 games a year. It's the same amount of games that's in an NBA season. So football, for example, would be a sport that you could put on par with the physicality of hockey. And there's 17 games a year. There used to be 14 there used to be 16. Now they bumped it up to 17. Hockey's been 82 games a year for a really, really, really long time. I would say yeah. like 50, probably close to 50 years. Um, with that, you have just a completely different kind of sport because you have like a sport where there is some kind of combat involved in that. Like you can literally drop your gloves and fight somebody and it's from September or early October. And then if you make it to the playoffs and go all the way to the finals, it's into June and then preseason starts in August or September. So we're, we're looking at a sport that you have year round training and basically a season that's year round, which is similar to jujitsu, which is similar to fighting, which is similar to uh, pretty much all combat sports. You know, there's never a time when you can't schedule a match. There's never a time when you can't schedule a fight. Um, right. And that's very different compared to football, compared to baseball, compared to basketball, anything like that, right? So um, that sport, I think that's what makes hockey so unique. I think the thing that helped me the most is I was quite young by the time I stopped playing hockey. But I think the years that I played hockey, the thing that I got the most to bring throughout the rest of my life was being able to be coached. Um, yeah, and it kind of lands back on everything that we just talked about is like a lot of people don't know how to be coached or how to just you know sit and listen or or to just you know be receptive just be a sponge you know and you you learn that from a young age you're not allowed to i play hockey at a pretty high level especially for the age group it was a travel hockey team it was triple a hockey so a lot of the kids most of the kids that played hockey don't play hockey anymore but some of them went on to go to the OHL, go to the juniors, and then from there into professional leagues and things like this. So, you know, it's like the building block of just the, you know, there's a lot of kids in there who are athletic or there's a lot of kids in there who are like born to play hockey. You know what I mean? And you can see the difference between guys like me and the dudes like, you know, Bo Horvat and Max Domi and these guys that we played with who are in the NHL now. There, There was a huge difference between how they played hockey, how I played hockey. And, but we were all on the same team. We were all kind of uh, coached the same way, playing the same teams, playing in the same games, playing against each other. So, 
you know, you get around some, some people, even from a young age, you never know how it's going to pan out, but you're around special talents. You know, you're around people who um, are good. Like, you know, I truly believe a lot of these people were put on earth to, to play hockey straight up. Just like, I believe I was put on earth to do jujitsu. Just like a lot of people put on earth to do a lot of different things. You know, you're amongst some of the best uh, hockey players, soon to be some of the best hockey players in the world. So between that and, being able to be receptive and be coached, be in a sport that is basically year long. You know, you're almost never off the ice between spring training and, and things like that, or summer camps, or camps when you're a kid. Then when you get a little older, you go into spring hockey leagues where once your teams end, all the teams in the in the area get together, put a team together for each age group, and then you guys play another 15 or 20 games like that. So, you know, it gets pretty crazy. That was I, So I grew up skiing competitively and even though you know even though you only ski in the winter it was very much and especially beyond a certain age it was very much the same thing it was this was you ski on the snow but all year round you're conditioning you're training you're you're doing plyometric work you're in the training hall you're on a program you're making learning how at least to make social sacrifices right so that you're foregoing opportunities in your social life so that you can train for this future benefit of performing which is a very interesting thing to go through as a kid when like the majority of people just aren't really looking at that they're like what are we gonna do on the weekend where are we gonna get beer like whatever they're concerned with it's just so different than having that athletic mindset you you mentioned that there was this difference because i always find this interesting at at a young age like that if you're playing triple a you're talented right no one on that team is bad and no one on that team is not committed to playing like you're you're separating yourself within the age group of people there but what what are those differences that you notice, even reflecting on that time, between you and some of these other guys? You said like there was a difference in training. There's a difference between them. Is that like a an innate gift just towards hockey? That's like a skill based thing where somehow they just handle the puck different. They think about the ice different. Like what what do you think is separating you at that point from someone else? Because I would argue probably the same exact thing is happening in the sport of grappling for you and then other people that are maybe relative to your age, strength level or ambitions. Yeah, I would, I agree. I think that's something that uh, uh, exists in all sports. You just see people who are different. If you want to go to like the highest level, when you saw somebody like Michael Jordan or Kobe Bryant on the court, it was different. The presence was different. And that's what the, the kids had presence, you know, they, when they played, when they had the puck, when they went after the puck, they had presence on the ice. And that's something that uh, the rest of us really didn't have. You know what I mean? There might be like a whole team of us without somebody like that on it. You know, your kids, right. it's it's hard to have that. And then once you get older, uh, other kids start to develop and then they start to become, you know, different. They start to change. They start to mature they start to, you know, the coordination and the age and the size, everything starts to kind of come together when they reach their teens or 16, 17. And that's when they take off and they end up doing big things. But I think just at any level, uh, you can just tell, even if you go to a local grappling tournament, you can just see somebody, I could see somebody and be like, Hey, you know, that, that kid can fight. You know what I mean? Yeah, Yeah, for sure. So, um, yeah, it was just that that was the thing. They just had presence on the ice. You know, the rest of us is like a bunch of kids playing hockey and then they they would pick up the puck and it would, you know, the the whole energy around the rink would change. It's it's so interesting that that is not 
like it can be a, an indicator of future success, but it also has nothing to do with it. Cause I, I can think about kids exactly like you're talking about that when I was, I would play soccer in the off season as conditioning for skiing. And I remember there were kids that were just, dude, I, I to me at the time I was like, that kid's going to the MLS, that kid's going to go play overseas. And they just didn't, you know, mm-hmm. and, and burned out to some degree. And when I it had nothing to do with soccer in their life at all, but you're like, just thinking at that time that that's guaranteed to bring them somewhere and what it's missing is the mindset part of it the mental commitment the commitment to training hard when other people want to go and do other stuff when you're talking about presence you certainly have a presence when you step on the mats when did you feel like that started to become a thing for you like when did you feel like you were jujitsu is like ah this is my home this is where i'm going to tear the roof off this thing I am in the right lane. Uh, the first the first competition I ever did was right before I turned 13. I think it was, I believe it was a month or two before my 13th birthday. And I did it just randomly, kind of like I was playing spring league hockey. And then we lost. And I was like, I have some more time to train in these next couple weeks. I'll do the Arnold Classic. Like, I've been wanting to compete. So, like. I'll try it. You know what I mean? Yeah. And kind of had like the talk about like, you shouldn't care what happens because you know, you're just doing it for fun and blah, blah, blah. And I really didn't even like really think about it at all. I really didn't yeah. in a way care that much. You know what I mean? Um, obviously didn't want to lose cause I was just competitive, but right. it was just something to do. I went to the venue. I like got there early with my parents warmed up kind of and then like fell asleep in the crowd and got woken up and competed and won you know what i mean so it was just like a natural feeling i remember like i fell asleep my parents were kind of like oh like yeah he's he's chill you know what i mean so that's when we all kind of realized like i was pretty good at this and it came naturally and then the more i would compete the same kind of things would happen and then after the first time I did a, a like a IBJJF, like a major one, I did pans at Juvenile One. I was 15, but in my 16th year. So yep. got like four or five days off school or, or three or four days off school, went down to the pans, competed, and then um, I won. I won my division. I had four matches to win. And like that was the point that what I was – wanting to say was like i want to do jujitsu for the rest of my life Mm -hmm. uh but i didn't really have a leg to stand on to say it because i was in like ninth or tenth grade and i didn't have a lot to you know even though you my level wasn't any different like the day before the tournament to the day after Mm -hmm. i had to have something that i could use to be like yeah look i just won hands you know what i mean i'm like that's a that's a tough sell the best to mom in and the dad. world. Exactly. So like after that, when I said I want to do jujitsu, then yeah. my parents were like, okay, you know, like knew it would be a challenge and all these different kind of things, but it was what I wanted to do, and I proved that I could do it. You know what I mean? I proved that at yeah. that point I was amongst the best in the world. So then, pretty much since then, uh, different times when you go up to different levels in the sport, like when you go up to adult, there's another transition period um where you might not be as dominant then purple belt same thing i really struggled at purple then brown same thing kind of lot less struggle at brown and then black belt obviously same thing that's always like the toughest one to adapt to because the people are just 
the best, you know, and, well, and, and there's no cap on and, exactly. There's, there's like no cap on tenure. You know, you can have someone yeah. who's a black belt. They've been doing it for 30 years. You can have someone who who'd got it early and they're like eight years in or something like that. So there's no, if that person's invested in continuing their skill set, you can be up against someone who's like really, really nasty. Yeah, exactly. So that's what made black belt hard. But by the time I got to black belt, I, I already knew what I wanted to do. I was already well set in my ways of doing jujitsu for a living. Yep. So there was kind of nowhere to go. You know what I mean? If you're not having the success you once thought you would, it's time to make the changes and, and, uh, you know, go through it. You're not going, you're not going anywhere. Nobody else is really going anywhere. There's no other level to really go to unless, you know, unless somebody dies or retires, you're going to see the same people just all the time. So it's, it's black belt, new people come in, you know, things like that. So your back's against the wall. Once you get to black belt, you can't really, you know, go anywhere or change any of that. So you make the changes you have to make and then do you, uh, march on with a career so that's pretty much what happened how do you train your your mindset with this because i i can only really speak on this from like a super micro level compared to the people that you're up against and the stages that you're on when you're competing against these guys but if you're anyone who's trained jiu-jitsu for let's say you've trained for five years you walk into training you know who's going to give you a tough time and you know who you're you're going to dominate if you train a lot and there becomes this psychological component to training that isn't always there in the beginning when you're really a, a, like learning all these new principles and so you know like oh all right like it's going to be on when we train you know that person's in the room and you know that you guys are going to have to train and it might be a ratchet up a couple levels from the other roles you're doing when you get into the arena all these guys are killers, yourself included, right? Every single person at ADCC is a world beater, which is why they're there. So how do you train your mental side of it to maintain your tenacity to be someone who, when you step on the mat, you're already in that engaged kind of like psychological warfare where you want them to go, oh shit, it's Dante. I got I to gotta match with Dante. This sucks, you know? Like, I, do you feel that way when you look across the mat and you see some of these other guys and you're like, man, like PJ and I are really going to just go hard the whole time. Let's do this. Uh, do I have any kind of like fear about fear. it? No. Oh, no, yeah. not at all. Not at all. That's why it. I do this shit because uh, <laughs> it's part of what I like. You know what I mean? I love jujitsu. I love everything that comes with it. And uh, people are always going to, bore you with about you know it's about development it's about this and it's about that but if we're there we're there to compete and we're there to win yeah. we're not there to you know you can do all your development on your own and do whatever you need to do and um and all those things i mean we all do it we all have our our ways that we implement jujitsu in our lives outside of competition and i believe i do a good job of that but when i'm at a competition i'm at a competition i'm there to to compete i'm not there because i think somebody's tough if i thought somebody was too tough to beat i wouldn't show up so right that's pretty much how it goes for me i just i like it i like the challenge uh if somebody looks at me and feels like oh shit then they've probably already lost the match you know what i mean so yeah uh, at the highest level if, if somebody doesn't have the belief that they can win and they don't at this point in jujitsu, if you don't like to 
get into a, a physical match, get into a match that's going to be tough. Because um, once again, you know, jujitsu is not a combat sport. I mean, it is a combat sport, but we don't punch and kick. Like we don't kick each other right. in the head. So there's really, there's nothing that you should be scared about if you do this job. There's nothing, you know, outside of you not tapping or outside of freak injuries, which can happen in any sport. There's nothing here as a trained individual that you should be in fear of, in my opinion, you know, and, and a lot of people will put a lot of fear on themselves, put a lot of fear kind of in their heart, a lot of fear in their mind to make this such a daunting thing. And the, the reality is it's, you know, it won't be that bad. It's just jujitsu, you know, and the, the better you are and the more skilled you are, the less dangers that are going to lie ahead. Um, at my level, the thing that becomes challenging is is dealing with these different athletes in the sport. And just at my division, you know, like PJ. PJ has like his whole whole little bag of uh, athletics and uh, physicality traits that are really hard to deal with that are completely different than Micah's, that are completely different than Caden Tyratulo's, that are completely different than a lot of other guys I've fought that are all completely different than the guys at 155 who I've been having matches with. Right. So yeah, it's, it's really hard. And you think about all those different things, it's really easy to have um, fear about it or to make it seem like such a daunting thing. But you know, at the end of the day, we're all doing the same thing and we're all here to do to win this tournament. So, you know, that's pretty simple when you put it that way. I mean, I think that's why you're one of the best, right? It is, you, you know, well, you said it yourself. If you feared me on the other side of the mat, you've already lost the match. That's that's true to the nth degree, right? And we can expand that to any sport that involves a physical mentality. If you're a lineman and you think the other guy's going to bulldoze you before the ball snapped, then you're getting trucked, and yep. it's just going to happen. When even with that kind of fortitude and that like that outlook, how so? How do you deal with with failure? Right? Of course, at this point, not every single thing has gone your way. Not every single lift has been a PR. Not every single match has been a win. There were struggles at purple belt. There's struggles at brown belt. So when you are faced with incidents like that, where you come up short, or um, maybe someone is more physical than you that day, like whatever it is, how do you look at those experiences? How do you not get you know stuck in the mud over them? and just move forward. I know that from a couple of, like other things that I've listened to you on, you have an interesting perspective about pressure, like not, you know, I think it's really hard for people to not put pressure on themselves in, in high pressure situations in situations that mean a lot, but you seem to have a really like even keel view on that where it's something that you, you recognize, but it's not like a driving force. Whereas I feel like some coaches put a lot of pressure on their athletes. Some athletes put way too much pressure on themselves. They get away from the enjoyment side of it, and then they fall apart because they can't keep themselves together. So yeah. in those moments, those we'll call it failure or, or coming up short, what's your view on that? How do you, how do you turn it into a positive, keep yourself rolling, and get back at it? Um, one of the biggest things I think is, is – you have to have fun with this, you know, it has to be in, enjoyable. And and that's the biggest thing, even at high level of sport, some people are just like, they fear competition, or they don't like it, they don't enjoy it. And, you know, when they win, it becomes a way bigger thing than it should be. And when they lose, it becomes a way bigger thing than it should be. You know, if you 
actually enjoy doing this, you're not going to give yourselves reasons to not do it. You know, it's like a lot of the reasons why people don't stick with certain workout programs or certain nutrition plans is not because they can't stick to a diet or they can't work out. It's because they just fucking hate what they're doing. So it becomes so easy to not do it, you know, and that's, that's such a big thing. It's sometimes I feel like even people in the, in the highest levels of, of certain professions or certain sports just don't want to be doing what they're doing. And it's, it's easy for them to kind of amplify anything that happens, you know, any success is, is hugely amplified when for people like me, it's, it's not really because you know, we have to get back in the gym and we have to do what we need to do. Even if I don't have anything coming up, my students are here. My competitors are also here. They need me. They need me to train with. They need me to be there. Um, I have to stay on task. I can't let myself, even if I don't have something coming up, I can't get out of shape. I can't not be in the gym. You know, my life revolves around, uh, around this, Same. right? So I can't, yeah. I don't really have that, that option to, you know, just go and party for a week because I won some random tournament. You know what I mean? It's like, right. no, I have other shit to do. And then if I lose a tournament, I don't have a week to be sad or just to come in the gym and be like, you know, dragging my feet because there's other people in the gym who are going to feed off my energy. And there's other people in the gym who need my help, who need me to be there. And it, it does nothing. You know, you're feeling sorry for yourself at that point. You're not uh, uh putting it in the right direction you know and and the word failure i mean the word failure depends if you if you want to use the word you need to kind of turn down what it really means or define what it really means to you or you need to not use it you know because to me failure is is like uh it's catastrophic that means you know something's fucked up it's done it's right means that you have to either rebuild or scrap it you know if you have engine failure in a car you have to buy a new engine you have to rebuild your engine (laughs) or you just get rid of your car you know what i mean and that's what it is so um i don't think labeling things is a failure like you know you could fail a mission but you can come back and you can do it you can fail a mission you can move on you can do another one it's really it doesn't become such a such a big thing you know it doesn't become such a thing that you can't overcome um when you take certain labels off of it when you take certain pressures that are tied to these labels to the words failure to the words conquer to these huge words that you think you know you didn't conquer shit you won a tournament like big deal (laughs) you know what i mean it's that's not what it is like you didn't fail you lost dude like whatever you know what i mean in a lot of ways that a lot of people lose is they don't understand is sometimes we win matches against people even at our level and we're like an eyelash between us you know yeah, what i mean and we totally. could and, and we know this we don't run around and think like oh you know i submitted that guy and or i i beat that guy by however many points or this that and the other i'm way better than him like bro you guys could fight tomorrow and it could be completely different if we put you me right. and certain people in a simulator there's going to be matches going back and forth you know what i'm saying so right yeah, that's that's why you can't my level. You don't really have much of a choice, I think, to look at things as, you know, something catastrophic. You know, it's not to like just fully toot the horn on weightlifting here, but I'm going to do it anyway. There are too many like parallels to 
when you're really when you're really strength trained. So if if you're on you know like an Olympic weightlifting program, or you're you're getting ready for meet, or you're on a powerlifting program, and you're really invested in improving your strength, your individual strength, your training is going to be chocked full yeah. of quote failures. That's how you get stronger. There are so many days where. You know, maybe your body is not online. Maybe your sleep's been off and you didn't know it. Maybe your nutrition's behind a couple thousand calories, like whatever it might be. And on the day that you expect that you're going to hit a new lift or you're going to peak your program or you're, you know, ramping up for a certain phase, it could just be the opposite. And so when you strength train for a long time, like when you have a long weightlifting age, like a decade, more you've experienced so many times where you had an opportunity to walk out the door. Yeah. When injury, a, a lumbar disc issue, pulled hamstring, neck problems, uh, missed lifts that you should have just hit no matter what, whatever it is, there's so many times when you could just quit. But if that's not your focus, then you show up the next time and you get better. And then you look at the trend of your strength over time and it goes like that. And so that mentality of like, I always just draw on the mentality of like my time Olympic weightlifting. There's so many moments in life where it it shows up again and you're faced with the exact same thing yeah but absolutely. not everyone can not everyone can look at it like that yeah i mean that's the thing about lifting i see too is when people start lifting or they start following some kind of a workout program especially if they haven't really trained before they get gains so fast right so fast. like they get stronger they look different they love it they get yeah. into like some of them get into the lifestyle a little more. Some of them start like, you know, dedicating more time and then the gains slow down and the, the lifts stop going up and they actually start going down and then they just, they quit or they can't handle it or yep. they just, you know, result to doing something else rather than, you know, stay on the path that they said they were going to like, you know, forge ahead on. And that's the thing too, is, is it's not necessarily about, what you're doing in this time or like what you are your numbers and what you hit before you can always get back there you can always do it it's you 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 prove what you could do if it's injury that's holding you back there's rehab that can bring you there if it's nutrition if it's sleep if it's whatever it is then it can bring you back to there you know and instead of just talking about all the things that you're not doing why don't you just go and do them you know what i mean with a lot of people who <laughs> You know, they miss a lift <laughs> yeah. and they just post about, oh, you know, my sleep's been off. I had a cold. I didn't feel good. You know, <laughs> blah, 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 blah. It's like, okay, who cares? You know what I yeah. mean? Like nobody yeah. cares about what you say. People just want to see videos of you lifting heavy shit. That's all anybody cares about. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's why if I ever post videos of, of my training outside of instructionals and things I post to talk about technique and to help certain things and things that can be something that people can actually use any videos I just post on, on my feed are just going to be me doing something that um, I think people would deem as impressive. You know what I mean? That's right. really all I'm doing it for. If somebody were to talk to me or approach me or to buy any of my instructional content, then it's going to be informative. But other than yeah. that, I'm not telling you about I'm not ramming down your throat. You know, the reasons why I couldn't press, you know, 110 today instead of 105. This is what I did here. You can, <laughs> you can see it. You know what I mean? So yeah, I think yeah. it gets, it's, it's, I mean, in weightlifting and in, in, in combat sports, yeah. like, for the best person, I, I've said this before on the show, but if you take like the best Olympic lifter in the world, 
like Lasha, and you want Lasha to add one kilo to his lift in, in competition, that could be a two-year process, dude. Yeah. Like just to add on new new clamps could be a whole year. It could be hundreds of hours of training, nutritionists hired, programs refined, travel minimized to get one kilo on a on a lift day. Mm-hmm. And they'll go to war to get that. The longer you've been training, the harder it is to make vast improvements. I mean, yeah. at your level, this is true too in grappling, right? For you to make some insane you'll never get a white belt to purple belt jump in skill again i agree 100 percent. like with um with, with the sport you know kind of like leveling up in any kind of rpg game you can get through the first levels really quick you burn through you get through all these other levels and then these levels like after you know 50 60 70 depending on the game it gets really hard. Like some people take years to get a character to max yeah. level. You know what I mean? And yeah. you wonder why. I mean, each each level, each uh, upgrade in skill, each upgrade in competition, each upgrade in in uh, opponents that you're having, the the gap between you becomes less and less. And just because of all the time and all you've dedicated to the sport, your growth becomes less and less. You know what I mean? If somebody right. pulls away from the herd. They could just be like getting 5% better and they could pull away from the rest of the herd. You know what I mean? Whereas like at blue belt and purple belt, there's like three guys who are super good. And then the rest of the guys can just fight each other and do whatever. But you pretty much know who's going to win the tournament because there's like a very obvious skill gap. You know, nowadays in jujitsu, it's you see it more and more across the board that there's like tough guys coming up in the ranks at some of these ADCC opens that it can get really competitive and things just because there's more people. But for the most part, you get to the highest level, there's just a really small amount separating everybody. And the slightest change, the slightest um, tune and focus, the slightest tune in training specificity, anything like that can make somebody just cut away from the pack. You you mentioned, you've now mentioned this twice, so I have to ask. You mentioned uh, being like running simulations for fighters against each other, but then also RPG games. Are you a big gamer? Not a big gamer. I play a couple games, but like RPG. What are you? What's your poison? I play Diablo too. I know that's like a twenty-four-year-old game, and a lot of people be like, "What?" But I play Diablo too, just because of that. You can just play it forever. You get a character to ninety-nine, and it takes you like literally two years to do. Especially the rate I play. I mean, I don't play very often. I might put in, you know, a few hours a week on the game uh depending on what's going on but you know it's just a cool thing you can just continuously play and build and get better stuff and get better gear and all things like that so you can just kind of play one game just straight through i don't have uh with the time restraints that i have i love games but it's hard to get into any of the games i did when i was younger because once you beat them you're just done and then it's all just done you're not going to go through it again you're just gonna you know whereas you know warcraft and games like that you just play 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 it's there's definitely like a a a mentality there to you know like an appreciation for that that type that's a very specific type of leveling up and a very unique kind of gratification that actually parallels weightlifting and jujitsu perfect not to get overly whatever and like draw conclusions from shit that's not connected at all but 
it, it, it I can see why something like that would be really gratifying because it's endless, right? Like you can jujitsu the rest of your life and you'll never master every single aspect of it, right? There will always be mm -hmm. a part of your game that you can work on. And then when your athleticism and your strength goes away as you get older, now you got to figure out how to do that part of it too, to get older and continue to do a sport that's really tough on your body. It has a ton of physical demands and a bunch of planes of motion. So it, there's never a point where Dante level 99 will all of a sudden become a hundred. It's just, it's, you know that going into it. And I think a lot of people struggle with taking on new endeavors. Yeah, I'm, exactly. I mean, that's really it. And that just brings it back to, if you don't love it, then you're not going to do it because it's, it's a yeah. long road. It's a long journey. It's a long journey just to get to the professional level. And then after that is when kind of the real work starts, you know what I mean? And yeah. it's a tough thing for people to, to handle. It's a tough thing for people to swallow. If your love or your attraction for this sport relies on solely your success in competition and you're like a lower level competitor athlete you are not going to have long-term success in my opinion because you're going to get to a level where success stops happening and right. it's going to be you know it's going to be it's going to hurt it's going to hurt you know you're not you won't be able to deal with it properly what does it feel like to be an athlete uh at, at your age in a sport like grappling like jujitsu that happens that just happens to be at this like very energetic point in its existence. Like if you think about jujitsu historically hasn't been around forever, right? Something like judo or wrestling has, has much longer roots, but you're also at a time where, you know, ADCC 2022 was like a spectacular event that really made a sport that I think for the first time, someone could tune in and not get it, but totally get it. And that's yeah. like, that's a hard thing for promoters, for industry, and for things to accomplish. Like anyone can walk in their backyard, set up a net, grab a hockey stick, and they understand that the puck has to go in the thing and they score a point. So you can take any kid in any neighborhood anywhere and, and they will be able to understand that. Jiu-Jitsu is very intricate. It's very complex. And there's a lot of things that appear to be stalling when really it's this crazy four-dimensional chess game going on. It involves athleticism, grit, training, knowledge, blah, blah, blah. Here we are at ADCC, and you have people talking about it that don't train. That's like a major you know, alert system, like, hey, this thing is headed in the right direction. What does it feel like to an athlete right now in this sport while it's exploding like this? Well, I think hopefully if we – do everything right and everything goes the way I see it going. When we look back on the history of the sport, we're going to see the people like me and the people in my kind of uh, era right now. And the people at my level is the people who paved the way for people to make real money with jujitsu as far as competitions, as far as matches. And uh, they'll look back and they'll see this era of jujitsu as the beginning. You know, this will yeah. be like, you know, this will be like the Edmonton Oilers of the early 80s, you know, that kind of yeah. changed the game. You know, that's what I think. I know it's different sport and that's a team, but I think together with everything, you know, this generation has so many greats. You know, you have Gordon, 
you have, you know, all of Danaher's squad, you have me, you have people from other areas of Texas, you have people from Europe, you have people from Japan, you have people from, and all at the highest level of the sport. You know, I myself, I'm Canadian, but, you know, North America has really taken over the sport of no-gi. The Brazilians are still here. The Brazilians are still putting out new athletes that are climbing to the top of the sport. Um, You know, so it's becoming something that when you look at the highest level competitors in the sport, you can pull them from all corners of the world for the first time. You know, even back in the day, there would be like all these Brazilians and there'd be like one Dutch guy who won a gi like world title, but then th- then there wouldn't be another one for a long time, and then there'd be one American who was really good, and there wouldn't be another one for a really long time. You know, like when BJ Penn won gi worlds at Black Belt in Brazil, it was nuts. It was like thought it was never going to happen again. It took like another five or six years before Lovato did it, and right. then after Lovato, it took another like almost ten years before somebody else did it again. And now it's not uncommon. Now it's not uncommon to see a North American winning ADCC, Nogi Worlds, um, Gi Worlds, all these different things, right? So it changes. There needs to be like those initial sparks, those initial um, creations that spark like the first change or the first mold that goes throughout history. And I think me and the rest of the highest level competitors in the world if we do our job, which our job is to compete, to spread this sport, to show how exciting this sport can be, uh, we can be those people. When you look back in, in time to some of your, like your predecessors on the high level, I know like Jock Ray was a really big inspiration for you. Were there other guys that you watched as they were, you know, that I, as much as I like praise ADCC from 2022, there was also, you know, there's been ADCCs with the exception of, the pandemic every two years and it's been a, a big event for grappling right so it's not like it's the first time it was ever there it just happened to be the way in which it was presented was like quite different as a fan watching were there other guys that you looked up to when you were younger where you're like man i really want to get involved in that sport like that's where i would shine i know you ended up doing it at the 13 was like your first tournament but was that because you were like idolizing these people and you were already interested in the sport or did you not really care and you just happened to kind of stumble into it and then became kind of a student of the game as you went along? I, I would say that around the time I did my first few competitions was when I started studying jujitsu and really studying instead of just being like a kid who went on YouTube and watched certain people's highlight videos. Then I started studying all the matches and I'm one of the guys like any of any of my friends will tell you, I know every resolve, every tournament, every black belt worlds, every, everything. I know everybody, you know, if we go to a, if we go to a venue, like at Nogi worlds, I'm like a kid in a candy store. Cause I can pick out like all the old school legends and all the people that, you know, it's sad because people don't do this anymore, but people just don't study and people don't know the history of their sport, you know? So I've always been somebody who's big on that probably because it always interests me with other sports, you know? So my first combat idols would have been boxers. Um, and as far as boxers who were my combat idols, uh, my favorite fighter is uh, Carlos Monzon. He's my uh, favorite boxer of all time. But the people I pulled the biggest inspiration from was actually Henry Armstrong, who is a, a boxer in the, like, 
I believe he started in the early 30s or late 20s. I want to say late 20s. And he was a three-division world champ at the same time, simultaneously, featherweight, lightweight, welterweight, when there was no juniors, supers, whatevers. And was like an eyelash away from winning the middleweight title too. And that inspired me because I didn't think I was ever going to be a giant human, you know. But the the kind of the when when I was coming up, jujitsu was just IBJJF Worlds in the gi. There wasn't even no gi IBJJF Worlds. No gi tournaments were like Grappler's Quest and ADCC, and that was kind of it. And it and it had a bad. I don't want to say bad. You know, it was always the the most respected tournament ADCC was, and it was always the toughest. It was always the most revered. I feel like, but Nogi always had this bad rap of like stinky dudes who did leg locks and just like tried to wrestle and things like that. It never had the same respect that the gi had, especially coming from a sport dominated by by people that were in the gi going into nogi rather than nowadays how we have guys who just do nogi right so there was a big divide there uh definitely but uh it, it did always interest me but having just the the ibjjf and geese scene so you know prevalent at the time to see how much different an open class champion was treated was really crazy you know like podger shanji um, Comprito, Margarita, guys like that, 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 that was thought to be like the crown, right? And a lot of the greatest competitors of all time from back in the day, Marcelo, Saulo, Galvao, uh, Terere, Cobrinha, Mendez, all these guys, like they never had a chance to get an open class title because of their size, you know? So w what showed like greatness to me would be to go from you know, boxing, what I said about Henry Armstrong, this is somebody like Salo who won many different divisions and a black belt at Black Belt World. Somebody like Leandro who won several different divisions at Black Belt Worlds. There hasn't been anybody to do something like that in Nogi, you know. So that's something I've tried to, that I want to do. I want to win uh, a few different weight class world titles. I want to even try and go after an open class world title. And I definitely want to win some ADCC titles as well. So I can solidify myself and be remembered for something that was uh, unique and way above, you know, something that's ever been done before. What do you sit at? Um, just like in a, in a given, if you're not worried about getting ready for competition weight, what's kind of like your like comfortable strength training, walking around training, conditioning weight? Like between 170 and 170. Four, I would say anywhere in between there. And you're you're five ten. No, I'm like five eight. Five eight. So you could like, what's the most? Do you think that you could get to like a? So I'm one seventy four on the dot, and the the heaviest I've ever been was like one ninety, and I I felt like I was like a Michelin man. I just completely deconditioned and like it just it was not good for me i much more prefer to be where i'm at do you think that you could get up to a weight like that strategically and maintain your athleticism maintain your conditioning and, and like push it at that weight class against guys in that same one uh i don't know i i feel good at, at the weight that i'm at so i don't want to change 
Like when I did super heavy at pans, I was like 171 or 172 and I just stayed at whatever I'm at. I wasn't going to change weight or try and get bigger or anything. Like I was just going to stay at the weight I am. I know I have plenty of strength to deal with anybody in jujitsu. And I know I have uh, a game that's, that's technical and sound and that gives bigger athletes a lot of trouble, you know, especially in a points rule set. So yeah, that was why I, I decided to do that. And I just thought, and, you know, the times that I've tried to move up and wait before has always gone, like, worse than the times I tried to go down. Like, every time I tried to move up and wait, is things were just not very natural. Things didn't come very naturally. Yeah. I, I got tired. I got, you know, I lost the dexterity. Just certain different things, you know. And it wasn't a huge change. You feel great when you train, and then you go and you compete, and it's like, you know, I'm just really not feeling the same totally. where – even if I were to go at 170 or 173 pounds into that same match, I would have, I truly would believe that I would have performed far better. You know, right. I would have performed far better, like gaining 10 pounds, literally did nothing good for me or gaining 12 pounds did nothing good for me. It honestly just like worked against me, you know, because I'm, at the I'm end of the day, I'm still fucking five, eight, you know what I mean? Yeah. It's like, it'd be different if I had this, uh, taller you know longer limbs i was taller but if right. i was like six feet tall and i was a thin 170 and it's like oh you can pack on some weight but now i'm not becoming like a fire hydra i'm not becoming kind of like you know a bowling ball i'm just filling out you know and uh you know i'm already dense as it is and i'm already have like a thick enough build that any more that i put on is just kind of like detrimental to what i do so i I've wanted to obviously talk to you about strength and conditioning, but I've, I've been troubled on exactly how to do this because it's very easy to be redundant. And I, th I think like you've in a way talked at nauseum about like what your training routine is, how you do it, uh, you know, what you eat, working with a nutritionist, this and that. So I, I'd like to maybe zoom out for a second. And if we can kind of cover, like, if you look at your history as an athlete from the time that you were playing hockey at a, even though it's a very young age through getting into jujitsu strength and conditioning for sport. And then now being in a place where you're a world-class competitor, you're taking your nutrition seriously with a nutritionist, you're training on West sides programs with some of the most thoughtful strength training programs in the business. What do you think shifted the most over that time period? Like how is your approach to strength training adjusted to really be like at the tip of the spear right now where all these different facets are really baked in. They're part of your routine. They're part of what allows you to be really tenacious and aggressive on the mats, but they also allow you to show up day and day and day and day in a row and not get completely blown out and then have to take time off from the sport you love. Biggest, biggest thing I would, I would say is two things knowledge and all that I've studied, all that I've, I've done since, because my, my dad brought me in a gym and taught me how to work out before I ever did jujitsu. Like my dad Same. brought me to a gym for a summer and yeah. didn't like make me, but was like, we're going to the gym. We're going to the gym three or four times a week for the summer. You're going to do this, this, and this. And then he never brought me to a gym again. He never forced me to go to a gym again, nothing. So by the time I wanted to go back, I had to make the choice to go back. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I was like nine years old, um, nothing crazy. It was, you know, it was extremely good parenting on his part, and it was a, it was a great call. 
you know what I mean? But he didn't, it wasn't anything crazy. Even at the time, like back when, you know, 20 years ago, there was the thought that if you lifted or you worked out as a kid, you would destroy your growth plates and you would be like a runt. You know what I mean? And I remember my dad being like, well, you're not going to be six, four. So like, you know, <laughs> what does it really matter? But yeah. So, uh, you know, with that, I already had, yeah, I already had a really good knowledge, a good base with that. And then I expanded that the, the more I grew up and the more I fell in love with working out, the more I tried to expand my knowledge. And I tried a lot of things, you know, I tried a lot of different programs. I tried a lot of different training methodologies. I did hypertrophy, different training. I did five by fives. I did German volume. I did all, you know, all this crazy shit. I did five day splits. I did six days. I did four days. I did two days. I did three days. I did no weights and just did kettlebells and whatever. You know, I went through all these different things and everything works. You know, everything works for a different purpose or a different job. You can get in shape doing a lot of different things. I'm not going to sit here and say that you can. You could get strong doing a lot of different things. But at the end of the day, what I landed on was uh, Westside was was uh, the yeah. conjugate method was what was just it was just what worked for me it just clicked for me it was it was a good way to satisfy like the kind of like you know I love working out I love getting a pump in I love doing bicep curls flies different things like this that people are like oh that's no good for jujitsu you know when I was coming up it's no good for jujitsu but that's a way to kind of satisfy the inner meathead that wants to work out that wants to get a pump in that wants to feel like he's he's lifting right and then at the same time i can also get stronger by doing main exercises and doing heavier lifts so not only am i doing something i enjoy and that's challenging but something that works also not blowing up my weight you know and that was the biggest thing you know whenever we did yeah. the hypertrophy cycles or the big a lot of squat volume with with decent weight oh, okay. i could just feel like one so sore and two we're just gaining gaining weight like crazy you know what i mean and not even that it's good weight your body's just gaining weight because it's retaining everything it you put on in it oh, to try so and recover and yeah exactly i mean you're just gaining and when you're young and you're in your early 20s every everything that you gain is water you know so you're just you're not really you know not a lot of benefits really coming from any of it so west side was the way trained it a lot studied did all i could with it and then i was just fortunate enough to uh be where i am and make the connections that i made and i got in with west side so it's yeah. a method that i've trained with and that i've practiced preached for probably over six years and now I'm training in the gym where it was, it was uh, not the gym that it was born because it was born when it was oh, in other gyms and, yeah. and it was born in this late sixties, you know, most likely um, in Culver city. And for what Louis made it, it was born in his garage and in some other gym in uh, the city of Columbus. But, you know, training at Westside every week is something that's, really cool it's a great experience every time it's a tough experience but it's a great experience every time and uh if there's anybody that knows every single thing about all of this stuff it's the people that have you know the the data and the notes and the firsthand experience with somebody like louis so i believe i'm in the I'm in the right place for the training that i want to do 
Yeah, it's interesting. Like, ha so having having trained for skiing when I was in high school with coaches at the time that, in hindsight, had no idea what they were doing programming for that sport, then making a career out of being a coach and a trainer and going through the educational process of that, and then just becoming a nerd about it and reading a lot of different books and different types of training, and then like yourself, experimenting with German volume training splits and different catalyst athletic programs and then west side programs and conjugate method and all this stuff you it's very easy to see in a lot of things when people try to be sports specific what they do is they they show you exercises that look like the sport they go hey when you play guard you're on your back right and you have your hips flexed you need to be doing this and they'll grab a cable and they start pulling cables from their back and they for someone that doesn't understand strength and conditioning and who kind of understands jujitsu, they go, oh my God, that's what I've been missing. That makes total sense. He's playing guard. He's on his back. You pull your opponent's sleeve. Why am I not doing that? And the reality is that thing, specificity is good. Like You need things to make sense for the sport that you do, but it doesn't mean they have to look exactly like the sport you do. You can get so much out of things like box squats, things like conventional deadlifts or sumo deadlifts or partial lifts, partial rep ranges, and then doing a little bit of what you said, which is making it fucking fun for you as an individual so that you don't hate going to the gym, so that you end up going to the gym more. And then if you do that, now you're helping reduce the risk of injury so that you can go play the sport that you want to play more. But people get so caught up in this, like it has to be functional for what I'm doing I don't want to do the wrong things. They're only doing one-legged kettlebell swings holding on to a resistance band. And you're like, yeah, man. Some of it, the over-specificity <laughs> is something that just kills. It just kills, kills it, you know, because when you – strength training, it should be pretty simple. It's to get stronger. So I remember one time I was talking to somebody at Westside, and there was this machine that was in the gym, and I tried it out, and I was like, why don't we use this? And he looked at me, and he goes – the data doesn't support that it's better than bent over rows and turned around and walked away. And I was like, okay, yeah. well that just like that, I'm not going to argue, but that just proves everything I thought. Like this looks like it's so much more applicable to jujitsu and it's, it's cool. And you know, Oh, I feel it in a different spot, but he's like, yeah, the data shows that this thing sucks. So we don't use it. You know what I mean? So like, yeah. you know, it, it, that's, that's what it comes down to these methods you want to say that it's unnatural or it's whatever you want to say, but it's proven. And there's, there's a lot of science. There's a lot of things to prove that these kind of exercises work. You know, if, if somebody like Dorian Yates is talking about the, the kind of lifts that he used to do and how there's something a little bit different that you don't see done as much um, modern in modern times. But it's proven. That's an that's a you know it's a bent over row and it's a undercut bent over <laughs> row. It's it's proven. It it's worked. There's there's you can go back and read magazine articles from Muscle Mag. You can go back and read Super Training. You can go back and read any textbook from Westside, any Soviet textbook. And there's diagrams of that exact exercise in there. He's not you know breaking the ground. He just used it and it worked. And it you know what I mean. He's proof that it worked for him. So there, there is proof there that those things can work for you rather than him having his hands forward. He had his hands under, and those are the adjustments that we can make 
to make things more sports specific, to make things more specific to an individual, those are the slight changes you make. You can do the same squat. You can change the bar. You can change band tension. You can change height of box. You can change stance. You can change all these things to get different results and get different results for different areas and different, um, basically different things that's going on. Are you in a camp? Are you cutting weight? Are you gaining weight? Are you doing anything like that? It's very easy when you have a very solid basic strength program. It's very easy to adjust it for anything that you're doing, where when you become over specific, it gets really hard to adjust it. So hard. You know, and it gets really hard to adjust your volume. Like, how are you going to know what, how do you use this? What, how do you use your percentage of what you squat or your percentage of what you bench to know what you could like, I don't know, reverse dead bug, single arm snatch or something (laughs) like this. Like, there's no way to really know. Are you using a weight that's effective? Are you using a rep range that's good? How, How do we know? How do we use any of the methods that we use to determine strength past present to, to determine what's good for you on this exercise. I mean, it's, it's, it seems to me that there's not the answers and there's not the proof on these kind of things yet. I won't say there never will be, but there's just, it's just not there at the moment. Well, and the other thing from like a coaching perspective, you know, if I'm, if I'm a coach and I get to work with guys like you and Lance Palmer, and these other people that are part of like the West side family, my job as a coach is to make you stronger at your sport, which means you have to be doing your sport. And if we put way too many cooks in the kitchen over here in the strength department, now we can't manage your output and your recovery. So if you are like, Hey, Louie, I'm like blown out in training. I did, you know, usually I do four rounds. I can only do two and like something's got to give. And he looks at a program and there's five inputs that's so much easier to manage than if you look at a program and there's 30 inputs and there's yeah. no correlation between the working percentages and the perceived effort. How do you how do you rope that in? How do you get an athlete back to baseline? And that's why I think you're seeing more people get interested in what they're doing because what they're doing is backed by years, dude, lifetimes of just being yeah. nerds for strength and conditioning, of Absolutely. brass tacks, shit that matters. And then working with top-level athletes that are proving their methods in the arenas where they actually need to, right? You look at any grappling sport or any combat sport, and Westside has their fingertips in some of the best performances out there. And it's simple. It's simple shit, man. One of the craziest things, when I started working there, I remember they would send me workouts, you know, because I do the one day there, on on Tuesdays when I'm down in Columbus and then the other days I'm working on my own. So I do two more days that are uh, max effort and uh, max effort, upper max effort, lower on my own. My dynamic effort work's done there. And then I just have an extra day that I basically just work out to hit parts that I haven't hit through the week or just to do something extra, basically. You know, it's kind of like my own thing. There's times that they post the reps or the weight to do and i'm like there's not a chance you know what i mean like there's no way they think i can hit this and more often than not i do there's a sometimes there's a few times that i don't hit the numbers that they say or that the number they say to start with i'll have to write back or when i'm there i'm like hey man that was too heavy 
but it's always something that they can just be turned down. And a lot of the times I would say 80 to 90% of the times when they say like, you're going to use eighties for this exercise. I'll say out loud, like this guy's fucking crazy. What the fuck does he think I'm going to do? And I'll do it. I'll be able to do it because you know, the, when you have all this data from all the training that I've done, you can really start to piece together. If you're looking at how do you feel what's coming up, right? We're healthy. You feel like this, blah, blah, blah. Okay. This is what you could probably do. You know what I mean? And if you're off, that's fine. The next week you could probably hit it or in two weeks you could hit it. You know what I mean? There's a lot of evidence. There's a lot of proof and there's a lot of proven data on it to show basically they're telling you, you know what I mean? What you're going to be doing, what weight you're going to be using. And they're within 5% of, of, you know, your max. If they're saying that your max on a bench is, you know, 80s for six and you only get five, that's okay. If you work out if within two weeks, you're going to get 80s for six, just like they said, you know what I mean? And it's adjusted for the next cycle. So yeah, it's proven. It's so proven. It's so, it's kind of scary how accurate it can be all from, you know, things that are saved in an Excel sheet, basically. From, so this is to some degree, you know, being able to walk in there one you're in, you're in Ohio, so you can get down to Columbus and you can be face to face with these guys. That's a huge advantage. In addition to that, you're a professional athlete. You do this for a living. So there's a big reason that you should care and want to invest your time and efforts and everything in this. If we can, again, zoom out and just kind of think about the, the average practitioner who's stoked on jujitsu, uh, they recognize that they don't want to get hurt. So they've heard that if you add strength training in, it's one of the biggest ways that you can impact that. Where do you recommend they start? What's a good place for someone who's new to jujitsu or, or just getting involved that wants to start to to take steps in the right direction to get stronger, but they're stuck in this cloudiness of, of social media and friend recommendations and what videos are trending and all this bullshit that can steer people in the wrong direction. Where do you think that they should start? What are some kind of like Dante Leon's hit list of must do things that are applicable at the high level, but also down at the, you know, newer practitioner level. I say, keep things as, as basic as you can and stay towards the methods and the exercises and the ideology of things that have been around for a long time. Um, that's, that's always kind of how I say it to people. You know, I don't ever want to be somebody who's like, you have to do it this way. Like I found out the way because I understand that everybody's different. And like I said, when somebody isn't a, I'm not talking to a competitor here. I'm talking to a, um, hobbyist or somebody who's looking to improve or step up their training not necessarily to be a professional right so i'm not going to tell them to go through hell like i go through hell you know what i mean i'm not going to tell them to do the kind of workout regimens that me and my competitors go through like that's just it's not fair you know what i mean it's not not what they they should be doing um but what I would say is stick towards the methods that work, stick towards the methods that have been around for a long time. The exercises that have existed, um, barbell rows have existed for a long time. So you can think of 20 variations of the row that are sought after and well-used techniques by powerlifters, bodybuilders, strength athletes, baseball players, football players, all sorts of things. You can think of 10 variations to the deadlift you can think of 10 variations to a squat. You can think of 10 variations to a pressing motion 
And then you fill in the gaps with all the muscles that support all of those main kind of movements, you know, your biceps. What are moves that everybody knows how to train your biceps effectively? It's not hard. You curl, you know what I mean? It's how do we train our triceps? We extend the arm, whether we use bands, whether we use weights, whether we use dumbbells, whether we do it on an incline on the floor, um, behind the neck, standing. You know, there's a million different variations, a million different ways to do it. Um, and when you're doing something just to starting or doing something to get in a groove, you have to take specificity out completely, you know, in my opinion, if you're doing something just to start, just to get stronger, just to get in shape, or just to start that ball rolling, we can't be specific, you know, we can't split hairs and say that, you know, we can't use a sumo stance, we have to do conventional or we can't do conventional, we have to do sumo stance deadlifts. No, we could. You can do anything, you know, you're, you're working out to get strong. If you just do something, if you do these proven techniques, a proven workout for three or four days a week and hit, hit different parts and hit different, um, accessory movements, you're going to get stronger. You just have to stick to it. When you stop getting stronger, then you can start to adjust things and you can use the exact same layout that you have for quite a long time before you're going to run into a wall and say, Hey, I'm not getting stronger because I don't have enough volume. I'm not getting stronger because I'm not using heavy enough weights for my accessory lifts and things like that. And then, you know, pretty soon you're going to see that you've been training for six, seven, eight years. And, you know, 70 to 80% of your workout is based around the same shit you did when you first came in the gym just to start doing it. You know what I mean? So, you know, that's a, I, in my opinion, that's a cool thing. I think that's a cool thing. Like, when I started training, I learned how to hold a, a, a bar to bench. I learned how to, you know, get dumbbells up to my shoulders when I lay down and bench. And now I do those same things. And I, I teach the guys at the gym, listen, dude, don't dump dumbbells to the side. Dump dumbbells straight down. It's just basic gym things that I've done for so long is still at the root and still at the heart of my strength training, which is considered to be highly advanced. Yeah, I mean, I, I think you're definitely a, a spectacle in the sport of someone who's executing it really well, like you're doing. And, and to be fair, I mean, you're doing the basics really well, too, which I think people forget because they, they want to do flashy stuff and they mm -hmm. they forget that to your point, like when you are newer to something like strength and conditioning, your efforts should be placed on learning how to be someone who's in a training hall and everything that encompasses that. Like, how do I yeah. be? And that's a weird thing to think about. Like, how do I, how am I in the gym? How, what's, you know, etiquette, how to be here, how to find consistency, how to work around and move and, and do things appropriately. But then also is get the basics right. You know, it's just like, I mean, if, if you can't execute the absolute most basic arm bar submission, how on earth are you ever going to do it in transition during a scramble when someone presents it to you and you're getting smashed? This is exactly. never going to happen. It exactly. has to be intrinsic on like a, a deep level. It's so funny too that you say about that full circle with lifting because when I, <laughs> this is so silly, but when I was younger, I had chest surgery when I was like 16. So my chest was all cut open, 56 staples, metal rod stitched in there. And when I got that pulled out, I was so determined to like build strength because I was like a twig and my dad bought a Bowflex out of the newspaper and dude I twice a day every single day all summer like what well beyond necessity I mean I just was so 
into it. You know, that was kind of like my introduction into, I would write my sets and reps on this like flippable page PDF printout and just, you know, I couldn't get any stronger because the, the resistance was too much, yeah. but it ingrained in me this, this programming and this desire to get better. Now, in, you know, at 34 years old, there are elements that are like just kind of hardened into my training and they're not that flashy. They're mm -hmm. tried and true barbell methods that have been around since Rome, you know, like that are just there and they work and they help yeah. you get stronger. But, and I can picture in my head gears grinding in people's heads that like, okay, you're building strength, but strength that you can't use is useless, right? So you right. can be super, super strong in the frontal plane and then jujitsu happens over here or it happens falling backwards or whatever. And, and now it's different. So two questions on this front to you. One is how do you make sure that the strength that you're using or, or, or building on these programs is strength that you can call upon when you're in training and when you're, you know, out there on the mats. And then two specific to you, what is your conditioning? Like, are you someone who lets jujitsu just become your conditioning or are you doing running assault bike kettlebell work like how do those two things fit into your your week yeah so with with the um, strength training how to be able to know or to feel like your strength is being built properly or or used the right way or you're building you know the proper strength i think a lot of that comes down to your technical proficiency um, if you're technically proficient in jujitsu, you're going to be able to dial in and focus that strength properly because, you know, strong, 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 man. You know, if you feel a guy who can lift a lot of weight, if you, um, you know, stay standing and try and go like an over under drill with a guy who deadlifts 800 pounds, he's going <laughs> to feel a lot stronger than anybody you've ever competed against. I guarantee it. You know, that's the thing, like people who have that kind of crazy strength, that power lifter strength, the guys that squat and deadlift 800 pounds, their, their, their muscles are like tree bark. I think the biggest thing about the training transitioning to jujitsu on, on, from the training side, rather than just being technically proficient would be that you're getting stronger all the way head to toe and the only way to do that is to get each area specifically stronger with an exercise and what i mean by that is if if you're standing on one leg while you you know do all these different crazy things like we were talking about laughing yeah. about it's cool and you, you you might have you know really good frames if you're standing on one leg or something like that but now it's so specific that you're not really getting upper body stronger. You're not really getting lower body stronger. You're not really getting the most out of it where you could do some kind of overhead pressing motion with your feet on the floor where you get to use maximum strength. You get to use max strength units to press weight above your head. Then you could do accessory movements to strengthen the muscles in the shoulder to get that lactic acid threshold up, whether you're doing presses, whether you're doing flies, whether you're doing laterals, whether you're doing bamboo bar work, bench work, incline, what, you know, all kinds of different things, Bradford presses, and then you can work single leg work, you know, lunges, dumbbell step-ups, safety squat bar step-ups, squats, 
Bulgarian split squats, all these different things that you can do to really direct focus on one leg and strengthen that leg so that now you have strength, you know, head to toe. You don't have anything when you want to strengthen certain parts of the body. All that focus needs to be on that part of the body or that exercise, whatever it is. You know, if you if you want to do a maximum deadlift, you need to do it you know, safely, but you need to do it. The only way that you can actually perform it safely is if you do it with proper technique, but you need to have your feet on the floor, whether they're feet inside the hands or feet outside the hands, like a sumo, and you lift it straight up to a lock position. You know what I mean? And you're doing different, if you're doing B stance or these different single legs or anything like that. Yeah, it good. It has its, it has its place and it's a certain thing, but you can't replace that with a straight conventional deadlift or straight sumo deadlift that's not to get stronger overall that is what's going to get you stronger you know so i think people when they specify they specify for the mat and then they lose that total strength build which is what you're looking to get with strength training right um the second part of it what was the second part of it that about uh (laughs) conditioning so like how how do you do you focus on conditioning first of all and then if you do what are those components? And maybe you could do like a in camp versus out of camp yeah. view out, on that. Out of camp is going to be just strictly like out of camp and in camp look about the same for me as far as like how the training's built up. Monday to Friday, we comp train 9.30 in the morning. Then we do a session on the weekend. We throw in our lifts Sunday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Friday. That's how it stays year round. 300, you know what I mean? Unless... Yep. If, if Christmas lands on a day that we're lifting, still going to lift. It's Merry how it Christmas. goes. You know <laughs> yeah. what I'm saying? That's how this kind of how it goes. So yeah. um, the things that change when I'm in camp. So there's always a conditioning aspect to lifting, whether it's weighted carries, sleds, yeah. um, different things like that. High rep sets. You know, there's sets with bands of up to 300. There's sets with... Um, the bamboo bar and dumbbells up to 30 there's jumps there's all kinds of different things that are going to get the heart rate up but really uh, build that muscle durability build that lactic acid threshold and that's that's a huge part of conditioning and as far as cardio goes what what i tend to throw in are the longer ride times on an assault bike or longer times on the rower I will mix in some sprints here and there, but I believe the sprints is a really easy thing. I mean, you just have to do something really hard to get your heart rate up. You know and I mean? It's a, you can do it with anything. You could just, you know, you could do a couple sprints um, back and forth to get that heart rate up and get that kind of exhausted feeling. But I believe that getting that cardio in, especially I really like the echo bike. Uh, I have an echo bike by rogue. I really enjoy using for this, but 15, 20, 25 minute rides at a certain cadence or um, 10 minutes trying to go, you know, the biggest thing I've been trying to do is four miles in 10 minutes. Um, Something like that. On the echo bike. Yeah. Where you have like a masochist. Yeah. It's horrible. (laughs) It's fucking death. It's so horrible, dude. (laughs) But you know, something like that is like you have, you have to work in pacing, you know, which is something you have to work in when you're an athlete as well yeah. as pacing for your matches. So you work in pacing, you work in, you know, time in, in a fatigue state, 
you know, instead of just sprinting to get as fatigued as possible and then stopping and then doing it again. And it just constantly gets worse and worse. And then finally you just can't ride the bike anymore. And then you lay down and three minutes later you're done. Right. So instead of that, now, you know, if you're exhausted at five minutes, tough shit, you got to pedal for another five or 10 minutes. You know what I mean? So yeah, that's the cardio that I found when I implement works the best for me. It's typically something I do in a camp just because it, it, on top of everything else, it's the thing that comes and goes the quickest. If I were to take out a day of lifting, the strength decreases and the physical conditioning decreases way, way, way faster than it does if I take the bike out. Um, Within two workouts on the bike, I feel like I'm primed, I'm ready to go. And then when I take it out for eight weeks, by the time I get back on it, I'm not like... I don't have smoker's cough or anything like this. And then I can't do it. You know, it's something that comes and goes really quickly. So always that main part of my conditioning is muscle endurance, which is done at and through my strength training program and jujitsu, you know, being able to do harder rounds and things like that. That's always going to keep me going. Yeah. I, I always push for people for the bikes and the, the rowers in place of running. I think people, people reach to running a lot in, in grappling sports because they think of anaerobic or aerobic conditioning and you can sprint. So it's this great thing. But the reality is that like, dude, running is just, it's super intense on the body in like a not great way. And if your sport, if you're talking about the ankles and the knees and the hips, unless you have a coach and you're working on your run form consciously and you're trying to reduce impact and reduce wear, zero impact on a salt bike, zero impact on a rower. And if you don't think that you can get a good workout in either of those, you've never used one because they're absolute dominance. Like you can put yourself in a place of questioning who you are in both those to the same capacity that you can on the mats. And so it's actually, it's cool to hear that those are such staples in, uh, in your conditioning. And at the end of the day, like kind of circling back on everything we've said, like, what do you want to be strong or not strong? And if you know the answer to that question, then training in a simple way that builds that is going to open more doors for you and trying yeah. to figure it be weird, do circus shit on a BOSU ball upside down, holding a gi in one hand and a belt in the other and trying to tie it is, you know, those things don't apply. They don't apply. And the best people in the world yourself. And I would assume if you look at programs of the other top people, you guys are all circling the same elements to some degree because it's what works on the math in ADCC, which as it stands is the biggest stage where you guys get to test all your skills. So, yeah, absolutely. I think when you see uh, people at the top of, of sport, people at the top of athletics, there's always going to be differences in how they approach things and different influences they have. And a lot of it comes from places that we grew up. You know, I grew up in Windsor. I grew up right by the Midwest and West side is the Midwest. So obviously it's, it's going to be a, a, it's on the tip of your fingers all the time. Right. And, uh, you know, growing up in the Midwest, it's hard. There's a lot of strong people in the Midwest, man. There's a lot of people who, uh, had factory jobs or had, you know, troubles um uh in their past and how they chose to deal with their problems was hitting the gym and hitting the iron you know so it was always something that was an easy choice for me but now that i see that the influence that this region and and the generations before me has impacted on kind of the rest of the sports world i see all the similarities kind of going across the board and i think it's cool i think it's cool that everybody 
we could all train together and we could all exchange ideas and have a, a similar view on things. It's, it's so funny you say that. So I grew up in Colorado and uh, moved to LA in like 2011 and now I'm down in San Diego. And I went back recently to visit a friend in the town I grew up in and we were at this restaurant and this other kid that I, we weren't like friends growing up, but we were acquaintances, came in, big bucket cowboy hat on, tucked in white shirt, shit kickers. And I was looking at him and I'm like, holy shit like that he's just a brick shit house and he's not a big guy right not like i'm not talking six two like 210 pounds i mean this kid's like five ten but they're they just he grew up farming and he grew up moving hay and he grew up putting horseshoes back on horses and constant physical labor over and over and over again for his whole life and he had a, a, a tough life like i know he did but i was looking at it, i'm like wow i just forgot that that's what you look like when you just yeah. fucking use your body your whole life. It's crazy. Mm-hmm. I mean, you, you would not want to get in a scuffle with this person, right? From a, from a glance. And it's just a product of that, that kind of like ranchy farm culture where when you're young, your parents make you move shit. And when you're older, if you don't leave town, then you get stuck and you work on the ranch for a long time. And like, I forgot how refreshing it was to see that, like, part of the yeah. country after being in LA yeah, for a decade. Absolutely. <laughs> oh, it's sure. funny. Well, Dante, my man, thank you so much. Uh, it's time flies as always an hour and a half already cruised. It's been great getting to talk with you and pick your brain on, on how you maintain such a dominance in the sport. And I'm very excited to see where you take this, man. I, I really appreciate you carving out the time. Thank you, man. I appreciate your time as well. And yep. hope anybody listening can, pull some uh, good little nuggets from it from uh, either my side or, or your side, man. So I appreciate it. Absolutely, brother. Thank you. Thank you, man. Hey, friends. Abe here. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode and sticking around to the very end. If you want to support it, leave a five-star review on Spotify or check out www.mainideapodcast.com. Join the mailing list and stay up to date on all things The Main Idea, from future guests, sponsorship opportunities, products that I'm using to help me perform at my best, invites to ask me anything, and any upcoming pertinent information to the show. I cannot do this show without you. It is literally why I show up each week and put these episodes together. So thank you from the bottom of my heart from being part of the community. I hope you have a great day.